What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. Today, we're going to interview James Fitzgerald from OPEX Fitness, one of the top coaching platforms in the entire world for personal trainers and people looking to assist others in their fitness journey. James is an absolute brilliant man when it comes to understanding all of the pieces that are going into this integrated model of fitness over the long term. And I love his conversation around when someone walks into his facility, he's not looking at what you need to do to get you in shape now. He's looking at what you need to do to get in shape now and sustain it until you're 100 years old. And I think that's a beautiful way to approach fitness is rather than saying, hey, what do I need to do to get a six pack right now? What can I do that's a sustainable model that allows me to thrive, not just today, not just tomorrow, but long-term? Because I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves to, hey, I need to be in shape right now, or I need to get in shape in three months, but nobody plays the long game. And that's where people start to thrive is even in business, right? Everyone's worried about what they can get done in one day, or one week, or one month, but they're not thinking about what they can get done in three years or five years or even 25 years. And looking at the long game puts things in perspective and, and give, lets you look at it a little bit different. So I really love that about James and my conversation today. So I know you guys are going to love this. If you're interested in becoming a coach, I strongly suggest you dive into OPEX. So James has generously allowed me to dive into his program and, and dissect it really and, and learn from it. And I'm actually learning a lot of new information from how to assess a client to how to progress, to programming. He's got a very extensive view on programming and, and, and looking at all the X's and O's. I think it's a great complement to the muscle intelligence way of training, right? So muscle intelligence focuses on what I call the foundation of all physique enhancement, right? So in order for you to build a body, no matter what it is, you need to learn how to challenge muscles. And that's the foundation of what I teach. I don't tend to get into programming. I don't tend to get into what I call the X's and O's, right? The sets and reps and volume and load. Even though I do realize that is a piece, 95% of the people you're going to meet in your day-to-day -day life never benefit from it, right? They don't benefit from programming because they never master their execution. Without mastering execution, you can't quantify a stimulus. And that's what ultimately programming is. It's quantifying it, right? I'm putting numbers on it. But until you master your execution, you can't quantify a stimulus because you can't objectively say that it's all the same. So if you're interested in optimizing the X's and O's, this is a really, really good place to start. And I strongly suggest you go check out James's OPEX Fitness. Amazing people, amazing conversation. And I know you're going to love it. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic is a longtime sponsor. If you guys are tired of me hearing of it, well, I'm not. So I'm sorry because <laughs> I'm so grateful for them. They're such incredible products. And everyone I talk to who tries them says they absolutely love it. Forsigmatic.com slash muscle is going to hook you guys up with 15%. And I still use it. You know, it's been almost two years that Four Sigmatic's been sponsoring the podcast. And I don't think there's been more than five days that have gone by without me using lines made in my coffee, lines made in my evening shake, reishi in my evening shake, or sometimes even having a reishi in my tea. It's relatively flavorless, uh, odorless. If anything, Lion's Mane makes my coffee taste better and a little more creamy in the morning. When you get good quality Lion's Mane, it actually adds to the to the coffee. When you get crappy quality Lion's Mane, I've had some people say, man, that doesn't taste very good. And I'm like, well, you're just not getting very good quality. So invest in what you put into your body and let's all thrive in this life. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast with James Fitzgerald. And if you do, listen straight to the end because it's going to be a tremendous amount of value, especially in the last 10 minutes of this podcast. Enjoy. I recognized throughout that whole period that I really appreciated coaching. It's like I could wake up and do that every day. I got out of bed to do that every day. So that's what I really appreciated. And it's something I speak about in the coach's journey for mastery is just being able to fall in love with being in the trenches like that. And then secondly, yeah, I would think it was just my persona that I loved having structure too, you know, because that's essentially what we do in the crazy world of fitness competition is we're trying to provide some structure to the chaos. So I think I always loved structure. What aspect of coaching or training do you love most? Like if you had to pick one type of athlete or one athlete to train, what would it be? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd have a type to give you, but I could answer the first part of your question that what really comes to mind right away is 
being able to offer something of yourself that you have learned that that person doesn't know that transforms their mind, that allows them to see a new aspect of themselves or their ability because you had either lived through that and you wanted to share it or you decided to be vulnerable and say, fuck it, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you this information and we're going to go for it. And then they see this like enveloping of like uh, what they didn't think they were capable of. So, and that can come in multiple forms. I've had that with like young, you know, young obese kids. I've had it with postmenopausal females, with uh, NHL hockey players, with CrossFitters, you know. So I think it can come in multiple forms. And no question. And teaching it comes in multiple forms, right? That's kind of the extension of that question is what is your approach in trying to get that message across? Because, you know, you know, you'll run into people who take that message, even in the subtle, subtle words that you knew that you use, not being direct about it. They'll take that message and they'll run with it. And then you get the ones who you're like beating them over the head with it. And you're like, hey, man, wake up. This is what's holding you back. Yeah. And they won't listen. Anything come yeah. to mind as far as like approaches for coaches? They're like, hey, here's how to get the message across. Yeah, I think the first thing I think about there is a great question, by the way is that it took me a long period of time to recognize how to do what we call and which you're probably going to get into learning with CCP is to be able to notice what you're noticing. So I think it takes a long period of time for people to, or coaches to, and this is a lesson to coaches, you got to know what your biases are and you have to know what your filters are, like how you see the world and how you see things. And it took me a long time, Ben. I think wherever it came from, you know, my upbringing in a conscious awareness, man, yeah. it's, it's, it's a conscious, yeah, I don't, you know, yeah. it's, you know, not sure where it comes from, but I think that's what I would tell coaches is to like, just recognize what you're just notice things for a whole bunch of years. And then you'll have a better prescription going forward to your question of like, well, how do you get past that beating them over the head? I think in most cases, the issue is we don't sniff it out. We don't take time to sniff it out. Yeah, I used to take it personally when, you know, like someone wouldn't understand the message. I'm like, dude, it's like clear as day. You can't see it. What's Matt? Like, yeah. you know, it's almost like maybe I'm not doing it. I'm not explaining it correctly. And now like, yeah. it's like I just present it. And if they're ready to hear it, they'll hear it. And if they're mm-hmm. not, that's okay too. And I have mm-hmm. no emotional attachment to whether or not one of my athletes is like receptive to it or not, man. If they're not ready for it, that's just not your time, man. Yep. Yep. It's a great noticing on your part. Yeah. So when did OPEX really start to take form as it is now? So when you're in Calgary, you were running around, you know, training one-on-one and they started to develop this online presence. Mm-hmm. So now you've got how many locations around the world? We're 65. Uh, gyms. 65. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did that begin? Was that beginning to take shape in Calgary or does that just happen when you moved to Scottsdale? Yeah, no, it was in Scottsdale. I'll be fairly, you know, quick on it, see if I can try to be good at this. So OPT, when it was in Canada turned into a private training facility for strength and conditioning that had really the resemblance of what an OPEX gym is today, which is private program design with just some coaches and it's a micro gym model. I also owned and partnered up with two CrossFit facilities that I helped run as well. We had two satellite locations of what OPT is and I was still doing consulting. So that's what was called OPT at that time. That grew to the point where I was becoming, from my experience in CrossFit, I had more of a name on the street now of this global presence for coaching people within the sport. And I was at a point in my career 15 years now where I had done so much with coaching that I wanted to teach other coaches about education. So two things arose, which I would say turned into quasi-OPEX style online coaching for individuals and then coaching coaches. At that point in time, we moved to the States. When we were there in 2011, it was only still online coaching for people who were really intense about fitness and a coaching education program, which is what you're partaking in called the CCP. This grew over time because what we recognized, Ben, is that all the things that I was teaching individuals in coaching was falling really short when they wanted to practice it in real world fitness. Maybe this is a separate conversation for another time. It's a lengthy one, but you know, fitness is a, the whole concept of it in generalization. Fitness is a shit show right now. The intention of fitness, the perspective on it, the longevity, the whole thing. So these coaches left with all these principles and they get so inspired and then they try to put it into a market that's like, no, <laughs> I want to do this shit like right now, you know, and the coach is like, but just a second now, I just learned these principles about, you know, right. so you could see that that was, you know, there's a lot of strife there. So what came to the gyms was, us recognizing that in order for us to fight this battle, you know, we can continue to pump out coaches and continue to like market really hard as to what our vision was, but we really weren't not going to go to bed at night and feeling good about it. 
if we didn't put our stake in the ground and say, this is how we do it. This is how we want to see it happen and move it out to the masses. And so that's where the OPEX gyms was created. We had this concept, you know, proof of concept that we tried with a number of gyms. They followed through with it. We saw that it could work. And now it leads us to today where we're just, you know, continuing to try to crack that nut, Ben, of getting the market to recognize what fitness is and how to make it a part of their lifestyle. And it's a challenge because we're not sexy. We're principle-based. We believe in a winning solution for the business and the coach and the client. And we have longevity in mind. That's unique, but that's a tough thing to scale. Sure. It sounds like you're managing expectations, right? Client comes in, says, here's what I expect of a good workout. Here's what I want right now. And the client, the trainer goes, well, this is what you need. So I'm going to give you a balance of what you want and a balance of what you need. And, and that is often the art of the managing of the relationship, right? Yes. Is you know, learning how to establish some rapport, learning how to establish some buy-in and some established credibility. And then you can kind of take their hand and take them wherever you want to go. But a lot of trainers don't have that, yep. right? So I'd love you to discuss what fitness is to you. Like when you say, you know, we, we're, we're kind of approaching fitness in this unique way. What is that? Yeah, well, it has changed for me. And that's part of my answer too, is that I want uh, people to recognize that fitness will mean different things to you along your journey. But at a, you know, a really high view, 30,000 foot view based upon it, the way that I try to get people to organize a working definition for themselves is to ask the question, what the current practices are in fitness today and what that actually means if you choose a beacon of longevity. So therefore, you have to define what you consider longevity. And my definition of it for longevity to come back to fill out what fitness is, is for someone to be able to hike up a mountain at 95, maybe have sex in the morning time, <laughs> hike up a mountain at 95, and then fall off and smile on the way down and really consider that a really purposeful, mentally driven, non-medicinal journey, right? So that's the beacon that I would choose as, you know, as I said, what do you consider the health perspective? Now, if you reverse engineer that backwards, totally. you have to have, ask a question around, well, what kind of physical challenges and cognitive challenges do people have to go through to get them to their max personal potential, right? So that they can live that lifestyle, right? So they can do whatever they want to do, you know, get them become better critical thinkers, to be a better father, to be an, an awesome CEO, to be an elite swimmer, whatever it is. Fitness is the medium that allows people to go through those physical and cognitive challenges. There's the definition that gets them towards whatever beacon we choose as being defined as longevity, right? If you asked me what fitness was, you know, 15 years ago, I would have spit out something that was slightly Greg Glassman-esque based upon his proposed definition back in the late 90s, which was fascinating, by the way, to my perspective at that time, which was like well-rounded broad capacity fitness. And I really liked that. I was like, yeah, well-rounded. Like that totally makes sense to me. And sure. that's why I got on board with it and drank it really hard. But mine has evolved over time to be a connection to a journey that people go through if that uh, somewhat defines it. Yeah, man, it totally makes sense. You know, and so my thought process around that is, is looking at the integration and the synergy of all of the systems that you're going to be able to need to optimize as you progress through the next 50, 60, 75 years, right? Like, I like to take a systems look and, and look at them all in isolation and then look at them all in integration and how do they work. So if you're looking at the muscular system, it's this. If you're looking at the nervous system, if you're looking at the, the digestive system, right? And looking at the endocrine system and looking at all those different systems and it, just kind of like exercise, right? So if you want to improve a body part, if mm -hmm. I say I want to improve my hamstrings, my belief is that first you need to improve them in isolation. You need to learn how to contract them in isolation and then bring them back into the, the integration of, of the function, right? So same idea, man. It's like you isolate the part, the system, and you go, okay, now how do we these integrate? And you know, for me, that's it's fitness. And it's funny that you and I have exactly the same definition. And I literally, I don't know if I use 95 or probably very similar, 90, 95, like climb up a mountain, be able to have sex in the morning. Like that's really it. Like if I want to be able to run with my grandkids, like I want to be able to do a balls out sprint and not worry about tearing my Achilles or ripping my groin or not be able to walk for three days. Yep. That to me is like whatever fills your cup, right? Very, very interesting, man. So where are most trainers in your experience lacking? Walk into OPEX and they say, James, I want you to make me a mm. exceptional coach. Are people myopically focusing on particular aspects and, and 
avoiding other blind spots? And if so, what are the blind spots? Yeah, well, I, the first one I think of right away, it's probably because I just finished discussing it, but they don't have this concept around why people are doing anything. So they're not taking time to be critical thinkers on like, why would I give this dose response? Or why would I do these particular physical challenges? So they're not asking those larger questions on what's the whole purpose behind this little arrangement. It's like asking their motivation or or is that? No, I'm thinking on behalf of the coach, they're all by themselves and they're asking questions. Why are we exercising? You know, and so I think to say what you call the blind spot or what coaches could upgrade their awareness on is to ask those big picture questions more so. There's so much information to be shared out there today, Ben, which I'm sure you're well aware of. I mean, people could just listen to your role, a podcast and learn enough to be like a legit trainer, right? If they're really listening and they like take notes and they kind of practice. So what I'm saying is that I don't think that's an issue. It's certainly not the information that's shared. It's for them to clear the cobwebs and to get an open space to go, like, why are we doing any of that? You know, and it doesn't lead to nihilistic, you know, like, I'm not sure, you know, why don't we just do nothing? It's not the case. But I think that's a big blind spot for coaches. So if I were to ask you that question, is it just this idea of having that end result and, and, you know, working toward the big picture? Yeah, yeah, just sit down. And if you're asking for a solution to that blind spot, which is what we discuss with coaches, we get them to notice what they're noticing, understand their filters, and ask big questions on nutrition ideology, exercise ideology, and belief in like why you're doing this stuff, so that they can at least formulate, you know, some plan or some idea based on what they believe. And then at least they can you know, they can understand that even if they're doing the dance with people, they're still asking those hard questions. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still moving forward. Sure. So, James, I'm sitting here drinking my huge cup of water. As you can see, I've got my big mason jar. And if I were to give you the, the analogy or the metaphor of like putting your big rocks in first. So, mm-hmm. fitness, you know, fitness is my cup and I, I need to fill this cup and I want to put the big rocks in first. You know, if you're a world-class trainer or if you, you have a world-class trainer walk into you, what should the big rocks be when it comes to fitness? What should be the things they focus on? And then what would be the subsequent rocks? Do you have an order of processes? Yeah. Well, not really as like a list that I immediately come up with when you say that. But um, if you're thinking about the best trainer possible, I would like them to have experience in fitness. And that could be broad and varied. But I really do think that to be that echelon of what I would like to see in a coach I would love for them to have lots of personal experience in their own journey and their own struggles. And that, of course, doesn't work really well today, Ben, for example, because what I'm saying in a utopic model is that, yeah, you know, you're probably going to get the ultimate level of a trainer who's 30 years of age and who starts their career at that time really building relationships, highest, you know, levels of prefrontal cortex development. They've went down the road of like potential. They've done it all, right? And so there has to be a lot of doing, I think, for that coach, the way you're describing. And that doesn't fall good today, right? Because 20-year-olds want to just start coaching and, you know, and do it for the next 20 years. And that's cool. But I think for what's required in the way you just described that coach, I would like them to get a lot of experiences first. And then I think some of the things that fall underneath that is uh, movement at the basic level. So just understanding the concept of what we had talked earlier about, you know, people needing at least some form of movement and consistency in that movement. And however they practice that or however they teach it, that would probably be the next big rock. I mean, I think that I'm, I sit on the belief that, you know, the movement leads into cognitive and other system, you know, to your word, system functions. So you're getting this. And of course, yeah. we're, I'm, well, I'm biased, you know, and I know my biases, but I think that through that, that physical challenges and their own experiences as a coach, they can then now teach those aspects. And I think movement starts there. And I think, you know, filling in the gaps afterwards would be more specific things that I'd want that coach to have. Yeah. Within your programming, how much are you teaching things that are, you know, outside of the gym? So are you guys addressing, I know we're going to, we're going to get into some stuff of like mechanics inside the gym and program design. Let's talk about that. But mm-hmm. as far as education of the coaches, is there any focus on the external variables? Yeah. We teach in CCP to be, for two different ways. So coaches could stay in their lane and know what is responsibility for a fitness coach and then and meaning that they don't get into areas in which they don't know you know they don't know what they don't know but they can get into areas which they know so that's their lane and then secondarily as i said based upon where we are in 2019 we don't have 6.5 billion people on this planet that are like chewing their food every meal and you know drinking water and you know walking three times a week and like 
you know, walking in the grass and meditating and, you know, people are not doing that. So as 2019, you get a reflection Mm -hmm. in our beliefs and CCP as to what people do outside of the gym based upon who we're working with. And so what we do teach for those outside the gym, we call them basic lifestyle guidelines. You just have a different name for them, Ben, and all your guests that you had on your show. It talks about all the essentials of understanding work and rest. So stress and adaptation. Uh, we talk about circadian rhythm and understanding the sun and the moon and, you know, listening to biological processes. And that leads into like more discussion on digestion um, and food hygiene practices, water, all the little things, uh, the basics. And so we talk about those as called basic lifestyle guidelines. And we simply put that up as our like flag and our, I guess it's a virtue signal we give because we want people to focus on some of the things that if they actually did really well and became a specialist at the basics, it would actually quash all the marginal gain bullshit that goes on in the conversation of like, should I do keto and should I do supplementation? And so, and there's nothing wrong with the conversation or the prescription of that area. But in my mind, for a big impact, we teach the outside of the gym BLGs. Basic life guidelines, BLGs. Basic lifestyle guidelines. Got it. Got it. I like it a lot. Yeah. With the mantra of like, you want to make fitness like breakfast. Like these things have to be just a part of the routine. So true. And, and, you know, for a long time, fitness was built into my life. It was like, wake up in the morning, you walk, you you know, you eat a meal, you go to the gym and that needs to be part of it. I think that's where people go wrong is when you start building habits that aren't building fitness in your life. And unfortunately, modern society makes it too easy to not do things that are fitness oriented, right? Like too easy to park right up against the the grocery store and, and, you know, drive to wherever you have to go and not walk and, and not exercise. So it literally comes, I was been thinking about this a lot lately is for the general person, it's very easy to not exercise. It's very easy to get in that really bad habit of like, oh man, you know, I haven't been to the gym in a month. And you're like, oh, geez, like how do we create habits? How would you suggest we create habits around actually building that yeah. in, you know, to everyone's busy lifestyle? You know, we're up early in the morning, we're going to bed late at night, we're constantly exposed to blue light. How do we build fitness into our life? Yeah, I think, you know, a habit formation, you know, process, I don't think is the way to fix it. And I, of course, need to stretch that out to you know, tell you what I mean, because I sit yeah. in a place where I think right now I know what true impact means. And so as a coach to client basis, I think you can learn things about specific behaviors and specific personal habits that could certainly change that one person. But what I think we need to do is to have a lot more conversation on criticizing bad ideas and secondarily understanding this conversation of awareness around fitness and awareness around practices. And again, I I really don't think that we have this fundamental understanding besides the fact that I would say 90% of people that walk around this planet believe that fitness is a fix, right? So you see, it's this, it may sound pessimistic, but it, it really is this phenomenon that people are not seeing fitness the way that you and I talked about it earlier. So if you wanted to change that, it can be done on personal habits and one-to-one from a coach to a client. But I really don't think that until that client really, truly believes, really, truly believes in what that fitness is doing for them, we'll, all we'll be doing is like trying to come up with these new, you know, these new habit formation changes every six months with individuals because essentially they really don't have the awareness. To you, you said conscious awareness and they don't have this belief in what that fitness should look like for a lifetime. And I think we've lost that. And to your point, Ben, we're in a really tough time right now because, you know, 150 years ago, you know, we had to move around and do shit in order to survive and possibly not eat for a couple of days. Why? Because we had to work for it or hunt for it or whatever the case may be, maybe 400 years ago, et cetera. But you know my point. And now today, I mean, we seem like we're evolved, but we've evolved to the point to make ourselves adapt so easy and to seemingly make shit easy for us, right? But in that process, what went wrong, you know, with, as you know, I've heard you speak about it before with the changes in industrialization and agriculture and et cetera, and technology now for the past 30 years, dude, we do not need to move anymore. We don't need to. So, you know, how do we propose to make that big impact so people understand that you actually have to move? That's a tough thing to propose. (laughs) It's a paradigm shift, right? It is. It's a massive paradigm shift. So I had a lady on the podcast, like probably two years ago now when I was still muscle expert and 
I just loved her. Like I'm a paradigm challenger, right? Like I'll question everyone's beliefs, including my own. And she built her house. I forget her name, unfortunately. I'm not remembering it right now, but she built her house such that it was the exact opposite of what most people are doing, right? Most people are trying to build in modern day conveniences. She did the exact opposite to where like, you know, she had to sit on the floor. There was no chairs. There was no, like the table was on the floor. Like everything that she placed in her cabinet was in the least convenient place. Like she'd have to bend over to actually get things. And I was like, now, this to me is brilliance, right? This to me is brilliance. Rather than conforming and buying into whatever, you know, the BS that everyone's telling you, this is the best way life's supposed to be, you're actually creating a thought process. Just like you're saying, like you're creating your own thought process to me, like what does fitness mean to me and how do I actually build that into my life, right? And I had this conversation mm-hmm. with someone recently, like your beliefs are not your own, right? The, the mm-hmm. way you dress, I mean, you're obviously a very conscious person, but most people, 95% of people you meet, the way they dress is not their own choice. The way they speak, the way they act, their beliefs are not their own, right? It's all the, the BS that they've adapted to to exist in this world and be accepted and loved. And mm-hmm. if you start to challenge your own beliefs, you can start to create a life like that. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. it's like, what does this look like if I'm optimizing for life, if I'm optimizing for fitness rather than optimizing for convenience and fitting in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a completely interesting paradigm shift. That's an interesting conversation of itself. It is, man. And uh, you're saying it in words that I appreciate because you're offering some new way of me, you know, realizing what that means. And so I appreciate that. And I still, at the end, think, you know, back to your point on, you know, what would be the habit changes. It's still, I strikingly go to, I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about what is going to make the biggest impact. Like, how do you create these? And again, that's why we designed OPEX gyms. And that's why we're trying to still push that out because, Otherwise, I'd feel so frustrated that we're not like, at least changing thousands of people's minds and perspectives on that, you know. But mm-hmm. I'm down for a much deeper continuing conversation on that area because, you know, what else are we doing, Ben? You know, <laughs> you're getting up and just doing your shit and you may not feel like you're contributing at all. But I don't know about you, but it is frustrating when you just know that you have some of the tools and the concepts to contribute. But to your point, you know, there's lots of people who we can't grab a hold of and shake, you know? So, man, for a long time, I fought the battle that a lot of trainers fight where you're trying to come and do everything perfectly. I used to be so meticulous and worry about like, how am I saying this? How how are people taking it? It has to be high level, has to be accurate. And now I'm kind of reversing that to where I'm like, what is the most foundational, basic thing that I can tell someone that where they currently are in their current state of mind in this exact day and time, their brain can actually take it and utilize it. And for me, like... I hope everyone get, has this point because I drill it in almost every episode. Is this this breathe, walk, meditate paradigm of foundational, like start mm-hmm. here, man. Because to me, that's like, hey, we create a little bit of habit. You know, I know you're kind of a little bit opposed to that term, but habit behind the functional things that are the foundation of a human being, right? You need mm-hmm. to breathe. It's mm-hmm. the most physiological unconscious thing we do. You need to walk, right? Mm-hmm. It's the most reflexive movements we have. And then meditation is like, this is exercise for your brain. If you can't do that, I think like the rest of the stuff in, in my eyes is not going to be as effective. It's not going to be resting on a solid foundation. And you know, again, we could go on this conversation for hours, but yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that, you know, you refined exactly what you meant. Like when you asked my question, what are the big rocks? I would agree with you just you know as a philosophical, you know, if we wanted to stay here for a couple of minutes on that. I love the meditation aspect first because it speaks to the language I was talking about of just trying to raise as much awareness as possible. So if you were to get people into because when I think meditation in my mind, I'm thinking breathing and meditation, a connection to the breath and basically thought right. and how to organize thoughts more appropriately. And I think that if you start with that as a big rock. I love that because if that leads movement, because now you have someone who's a conscious mover and now you got someone going, now how do all these other things affect what I want to do here? And why am I choosing to do that? And now you got me because I'm like, okay, that's someone at least who's going to ask some good questions around the whole thing, you know? Yeah. The irony of the breathe, walk, meditate is I intentionally separate them because Mm -hmm. I think you should breathe, you should walk and you should meditate. But as you've just kind of alluded to, in reality, you can actually do them all at the same time, right? You can create walking that's conscious and that becomes meditative mm-hmm. and you can be breathing consciously while you're walking and meditating. So there's this beautiful like synergy between all of them that I don't I mean, it's, it's more of an advanced thought process, right? But that's ultimately the level you and I would probably be thinking. Yeah, but that's so beautiful. That's our number one prescription for all of our gyms and something that I've been pushing since the intense model came to be in the late 90s is walking as an exercise prescription. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've opened up the opportunity for so many people to transform their minds by just taking time to do that unplugged. Yep. So, and to your point, I think it contains all of those things that it's so, again, it's so basic, but it's so powerful. But every, it's the foundation of everything. Well, that's what we did, right? You know, hundreds of years ago, we had to do that as a pattern all the time. Yep. And yeah. So it's funny. The reason that became one of my big rocks is this research paper just came across my desk and I read it and I was just blown away with the implications that they saw with just 30 days of you know this bilateral stimulation, right? This morning, zero hour, walk, run, whichever you choose, bilateral stimulation for at least 30 minutes. And this, the changes they saw in the brain were just mind-blowing, mm-hmm. right? Dopamine is going to increase, motivations increase, all the positive neurotransmitters, right? Mm-hmm. The anandamide pathways, serotonin, all these things are going to be positively improved by just walking for 30 minutes as soon as you wake up mm-hmm. every day. I was like, okay, well, everyone's always looking for these complex solutions to optimize your brain. Like, oh, I wrote my, my brain's not working really. I'm not, my memory's not very good. I'm like, okay. And when you tell somebody breathe, walk, meditate, usually they become, they're like, oh, dude, yeah, yeah I don't want to do those stuff. Like, well, how much weight should I lift? How, how many times a week <laughs> should I do my bench presses, right? It's fine. Yeah. But anyways, man, moving along. Sorry, if you want to have that. Yeah, no, the, no, I think I've read the same thing. What I took from that, either it was research from that or someone had wrote an article on, I think it was motor learning that connected that research. Anyways, some of the, one of the powerful things that I picked up from that was the fractal environment. So people getting into an environment that has multiple shapes, which is nature, right? So nature. you're not in this like closed box room or a gym that has these structure. You're out and moving and breathing and thinking, but you're doing mm-hmm. it in an environment that has multiple different uh, styles. And there's been direct evidence for people learning in those fractal environments versus a separate one. Well, even the different proprioceptive environment for your feet yeah. and your hips and like, like that's important, yeah. right? And people are just, I'm walking on the treadmill. It's not the yeah. same, man, because there's hills, there's stones, there's rocks. I do bare feet all the time, right? And I'm, I'm like intentionally walking on the, like, I don't use sidewalks, man. So I'm, I'm like on the street, I'm on the curb, I'm on the grass. I'm like trying to just give my mm-hmm. brain all these different inputs. I do it with my kids. I'm like, hey, we're going to go jump in the puddles. We're going to yeah. jump on the rocks. And uh, just giving your brain these different inputs that we just, we lack as human beings. That seems like it should be so just yep. kind of innate, right? And intuitive. So yeah. like we, this is what we're supposed to be exposed to. No, no, we are yeah, minority. Sorry, I'm weird, man. That's uh, <laughs> back to the point is that's a minority. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So man, getting mm-hmm. back to, you know, this OPEX system, you keep referring to what you kind of bring into the gym, the, the processes you bring into the gym. It sounds like everything you guys do in this gym is so consciously thought through from, you know, the actual mm-hmm. setup of the gym to the actual process when somebody walks in there. And assume I know nothing about OPEX and I walk into your gym. What's the first thing I see? And what, you know, what was the first thing that you consciously wanted your demographic to see? Yeah, well... We want them to recognize the power of the relationship and we want them to recognize that relationships is where everyone wins in fitness. So when people come into OPEX gyms, I want them to see that we really do honor the coach-client process with what we believe in to be a great relationship. I think I'm biased, but I think it's the best way for a coach to form relationships with people in a professional environment for decades as a coach. So that's what I want them to see. I also want them to recognize that they're only going to get the program design based upon what their capabilities are, not what they may believe is best or not what you know they think they're supposed to do. And I want them to recognize that we try as best as possible to come up with some form of an analysis that would allow you as a client to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I, that's probably what I should be doing in exercise. And then we want them third to recognize that the process that we have in this relationship is ultimately to lead them to autonomy, which is is an uncomfortable spot if you're not a conscious coach to think about. But you know, you really want to go to bed at night and smile as a coach over years and years of service by knowing that you have, as I said, given unto yourself, you've contributed to other people such that they're capable of navigating this thing without you. Right? That's the true definition of autonomy, meaning they've learned how to chew their broccoli. They've learned how to teach their kids about best snacks. They're teaching their loved ones around what kind of movements they can do at home. They're being consistent in their exercise. They, and you may not even be involved anymore. Right, So you're moving people into this autonomous function outside of the relationship. Right, And that's what I, I would say I want people to recognize. How do you integrate that from what a coach is doing in the gym to creating the time and the space 
to send that home with them and, and introduce those yeah. basic lifestyle guidelines? Like, how yeah. is, is, there, is there time carved out during a session? Is it like conversation yeah. between sets? How do you yeah. how do you start to teach things that they can take away? Yeah, great. Well, our system in a gym involves them being connected to the client in a technological platform called True Coach. Secondly, they're involved by seeing them three or four times a week on the floor for a couple of minutes here and there, fixing exercise, counting their sets, you know, changing weights, or just having a good old conversation on entry or exit. And they also mm-hmm. have a time per month for a big sit-down consult. So there's three lanes of communication, Ben, that that coach has with that client that gives lots of opportunity to discuss what you were just saying around where should someone start, right? As an example, like you know, people, again, should only be getting the behavioral changes that they're capable of implementing and that they're capable of putting in practice and that they've shown to actually follow through with previously, Right. So it's not right. just, you know, saying, oh, yeah, I'm capable of doing that. Give me the whole list. We will ask questions to get that, figure out where that client is going to be on behavior change and what experience they've had in that. And then slowly drip that out so that they get to the point of understanding, okay, I got these BLGs licked. Maybe now we're talking about some higher order concepts in regards to their fitness journey. Very cool. Do you guys have like an assessment process? Yep. When somebody comes in, are you using just FMS? Mm-hmm. You have your own or? Yeah, we have our own. That's probably, I'd say it's a collection of all different kinds of uh, practices that I've had. I've stood on the shoulder of giants for a couple of decades and followed around. And I'll just mention a couple of these names because I know you've probably, you've probably been in the, in the trenches for a while too. So, you know, just a couple of words. I come from the muscular development, muscle media 2000, you know, body opus before teenation time, sure. you know, yeah. the Mel Sif forums, the West Side conversations. I'm back in those times. Um, And I was connected to like, I guess, the science aspect too, because I was parcel a a good friend and a colleague with David Bain, who was one of the leading researchers in muscle fatigue in Canada. And so I I played both sides way back. And I'm preempting this answer to the assessment by saying, you know, I've really learned from the best. I followed Paul Check around for a number of years when he was just a crazy, (laughs) crazy ass coach teaching courses and standing up on stage in front of 500 people and basically having 40 of them boo because they couldn't break their brain for what these concepts were for fitness and movement. Really? I'm sure you can remember his old debates with uh, 3D movement and machines, right? That was just like classic, right? I, yep. I, I'm sorry, I'm laughing now. People can't see me, but yeah. So I, I came in that era, you know, and I went through, you know, everything up to, you know, the Gary Gray perspective on movement, the yeah. Gray Cook's perspective on movement, the functional fitness perspective on movement. I would say Mark Verstegen inside of that, you know, back in the late 90s. And I touched on all that. And so when people come into OPEX, we break it into three areas. And the reason for that, you should know, is that I wanted always for the coach to be able to see the information on the other side of that assessment and to have clear understanding as to what they should be doing in the program design. So I never really truly set the assessment up to make it like, you know, ooh, we might want to do this or we might have to do this. We set it up so that the coach would have pretty clear guidelines as to where they should start. And so we initially do people's anthropometrics. We use InBody today in our gyms. So that's, uh, we would say it's uh, unequivocally as close as being somewhat of a controlled piece of data that we can use to start people on uh, uh, segmental lean mass, uh, changes in fat mass, lean mass, as well as uh, basal metabolic rate beginning points, take them through a, what we would call like a full movement screen that involves all the patterns. So a bending screen, squatting screen, lunging screen, core screen, pushing screen, and pulling screen. And that essentially, of course, then gets the coach to go, okay, well, where are they probably going to be starting in each of those patterns in their exercise? And then we give people a 10-minute flywheel bike test and we do a body weight correlation with that just to give people indications as to where they are. I call that like the classical right. CSEP step test, yeah. you know, or the Leger shuttle run. My flywheel bike 10 minute test is like the classic shuttle run. You finish and you fall off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, if you can't complete it, you're just going right. to stay on there and just keep moving, you know. So that's called body move work. So when clients come in, they see, okay, I'm getting my body assessed, I'm getting my movement assessed, I'm getting my work assessed, and that's going to lead into what I should be doing for exercise. Very, very cool. That's Hmm. awesome. Now, so moving ahead to your kind of three-segment approach within the coaching platform, I know we get a lot of coaches that listen 
you know, we get a lot of average people that listen, but mm-hmm. for the coaches, tell me what those three individual segments are and how you decided to divide it that way. And, you know, where you would start one of these coaches jumping into your CCP. The relationship between a coach and a client is three lanes. Got it. We have five modules within CCP that we teach coaches. Okay. So let's go with that. Yeah. yeah, Let's go with that. For sure. So when a coach comes in, again, based upon 2019 and the current landscape, and again, I won't speak for you, but when you got into training and you got into teaching people about health and fitness, we were never taught about business, you know? So the first thing we do with coaches when they come in and both of us are, you know, shaking our head as to if we just had like a couple of months, you know, (laughs) of like knowing how to operate that, how to like save money, how to operate Excel sheet, how to, you know, get a price point, how to understand what the strategic planning is, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, so we teach coaches right up front, like, this is what is advertising. This is what is marketing. This is what is sales. This is what the life cycle is. This is how you manage money. This is how you manage the organization. So we teach them all that up front. That's awesome. Yeah. Secondly, so that's our first big pillar of business. The second pillar is we teach coaches about relationship building. And so that's called the consult. And we spend a good amount of time, you know, four weeks or so in an online format of coaches going through specific videos of understanding who they are as a person so that they can reflect upon how they're going to try to create the best relationship with a coach. So that's pillar two. Pillar three is movement assessment, where coaches go through some ideas to how they're going to be able to get to that point of, as I said, the body move work and all the complexities that are inside that. Fourth, we teach program design, which is the mechanics of what we call gain, pain, sustain, which in the strength conditioning world will be known as teaching resistance, teaching glycolytic work, and teaching sustainable activity and all the principles that go with that. Um, And then lastly, we teach nourishment, which back to our previous point of our conversation, Ben, is to allow coaches to understand the power of BLGs and how BLGs create a hierarchy for their prescription as to how to take care of a client. Very cool, man. So business, consulting, assessment, program design, nourishment. And they all go through in order. So you have to finish one to unlock the next? Yes, sir. Each one's about four weeks in length? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Now, if I'm not mistaken, let's walk through programming because that's most interesting to okay. me. Yeah. So I, again, I did, I was going to kind of ask some specific questions, but I'll let you kind of reveal as you go. So programming to me is one of the most misunderstood aspects in fitness, right? So there's the people who are at the top of the totem pole who get it and they all kind of seem to talk about the same thing. And in my experience in general fitness, most coaches don't really have a clue. They'll typically, you know, latch on to one approach and, you know, they'll be kind of a zealot for that particular approach. They'll Mm -hmm. they'll be dogmatic about this is what I do and this is what works. And Mm -hmm. let's talk about your approach to programming. Yeah. Um, For general fitness, I also can understand why the coach goes there is because really that's all the information that's been shared as a whole has been this concept that programming, and I I don't want to be reductionist in saying that it's only there, but uh, the concept of programming comes from a performance or a disease state background. So all the knowledge that these coaches have is largely based upon a beacon of how to not die or how to get a 1RM that's higher, right? All of it, mm-hmm. all of it inside that. I, you and I can like stretch that out been for hours and talk about like, where did this five by five thing come from? Like we could go so deep in that and recognize it's all about winning powerlifting competition. Right. So I think I'm empathetic, right? I'm empathetic right. to coaches who, cause the only information that's being shared on that is that. So quickly back to how I think we're slightly unique in that and different is that our model is based upon this philosophy that consistency trumps everything. Motor learning trumps the 1RM and disease state and doing it such that you get to your maximal physical potential and recognize that you're going to be doing this for 50, 60 years is what the program should look like, right? And then lastly, of course, we have that, as I said, this ideology that we want people being able to do exercise for a lifetime. And if you say that, and even, you know, if coaches are like, oh yeah, blah, 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 I've heard the lifetime thing before. Okay, well, ask, sit down and take a couple of minutes to think about this. You got a 20 or eight year old in front of you who truly states they want to live long and prosper. Just use data, right? Just go like this. How long is it possible they'll live? 
possibly another 57 years. That's based upon data, right? So we push that out, this new generation, you know, I pull all that from Jonathan Haidt's stuff, but so it's 57 years that they have to be able to do it. And then you can say to yourself, well, how many times will they possibly exercise per week, right? Okay, let's see, say on average, it's three, okay? So you see what I'm doing, I'm just creating a mathematical equation. When a coach thinks like that, they're like, right. that's a lot of fucking exercise, right? And so what are they now starting to think, Ben? I better put this shit correctly together so that I'm not just chasing after something for six months. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It makes them coordinate a concept that's much different than you know, going on a forum for four hours talking about how am I going to get jacked, right? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not going to be what you're going to be using to essentially help those people develop what they said they wanted to do, which is 57 years of exercise at three times a week. Very, very cool. So this is how you're approaching programming with coaches that are coming into your personal training certification. Yeah, it's a long game. Yep. And it's about them understanding that the beacon that we use for why do resistance why do sustainable work and why do you ever do any glycolytic work has to be based upon an ideology on doing this forever. Okay. So walk me through what that looks like. So I know you you kind of established the necessity of this, this kind of tier system, this hierarchy of Mm -hmm. of how you approach it. Yeah. What does that look like? How do you, so you're going through the movement assessment, the three-part movement assessment, Uh, and then we're saying, okay, well, here's your limitations. So are we are we approaching strengths? Are we approaching weaknesses? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's hard to generalize that, but I'll do the best I can. We, of course, have to ask about experience first. So a longer you know, piece for another time, Ben. But, well, actually, no, you discuss all the time, so your listeners will understand it. It's about the central nervous system and what it's capable of expressing. So if someone comes to us and they've had you know, 12 years of resistance training experience, their adaptation speed is going to be very low. And I just give that as an example because that has to also go into the equation of the assessment, which dictates what they're going to be doing in exercise, right? It's about where you are right now and how did you get here? And someone's like, oh, I've, I've been doing this for 12 years. And you like, you know, you ask the simple question, you know, when's the last time you had a PR in any kind of specific lift? And they're like, oh, it's probably been three years or so. That's not a right or wrong, but it gives you an indication. Okay, well, you're getting close to your max potential or you're basically at that peak potential based upon what you got to work with inside of fitness. So we ask about experience, we take them through the movement, but we do have this connection to teaching coaches about the three areas, as I said, gain, pain, sustain, which again, in language would be resistance training, glycolytic work, and aerobic work. And we make coaches ask the critical questions, what is important in any of these three areas that are connected to function? So what essentially goes into the design? In most cases, it's excellent progression of resistance training such that they're going to do that resistance training forever based upon where they are on their max physical potential and aerobic training such that it makes them more aerobic over time and more sustainable over time. In general fitness population, we hardly ever, and I teach them, it's not even necessary, we teach coaches how to prescribe glycolytic work, but in most cases, they shouldn't even be touching it for multiple different reasons. Number one, it's not connected to function. Number two, it's short-term gains that don't add up to being sustainable for a long period of time. Number three, we're not being chased by lines anymore. I could go on and on. And so that's where coaches start on their exercise. Great resistance, great aerobic work, and then trying to find the sweet spot balance between the two of those based upon how they're presenting in their experience. Perfect. That's where exactly where I wanted to go. It's like, how do we start to integrate these things into a micro cycle or a macro cycle so is yeah it, are they mixed into each workout or they mix into a week uh, how do you typically approach that yeah that's based upon each person but uh if they're truly coordinated effectively and again you know a longer conversation for concurrent methods but aerobic training and resistance training can go hand in hand because and, and the conversation that's always like knee-jerk people outside of that is that they're so scared about losing lean mass or not getting a 1RM. And again, that's not our proxy, right? It's like, I don't care. I just want them to move and be sustainable and also do contractions, right? So we get people to move through that area. If I was to put it into buckets, we have like, we, we classify them as beginner, intermediate, advanced, master, grandmaster. And that's an elongated style of practice, let's say. And so for people who are listening, you just think about it as like, thousands of sessions in each area that dictate what your potential is. Um, and then each side of those back to cycles, the intermediate, the biggest thing they're trying to overcome in, re- in regards to resistance span is not the one RM. It's basically consistency and motor learning, right? So motor control and learning right. patterns, teaching proprioception, doing head to toe movements, et cetera, et cetera. 
gives them all the benefits that's necessary uh, to move up to the next area, which would be intermediate. So the cycles within you know, uh, classic terminology for, for a beginner is just truly accumulation phases over and over. You're basically just doing modifications of variety and movement, modifications in time under tension over a period of time. And you're basically allowing them to discover all these movement solutions for years and years. And that in itself is creating progression, right? Sure. But it's not connected to moving towards a 1RM, right? It's connected towards them becoming much better movers in all the patterns of movement. Do you think most people spend too little time in that accumulation phase in the beginning yes. in, in the motor movement? Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> yes. Man, we're, we're talking the same Dude, like We talk about like years. Yeah. Years. And, you know, but do you know the fear as to why they're not doing it? Because someone on a pedestal told them that they shouldn't do 12 deadlifts in a row. Or someone on a pedestal told that coach that they're going to be slow, the client. Or so, you see what I'm saying? All the injected values are coming from a performance state as to why they're not doing that with the client. Yet yeah. you and I know when we've given clients who are beginners head to toe full body resistance training program, they leave feeling like a fucking hundred bucks, right? They were a thousand bucks or whatever. If you're Canadian, it's a lot of toonies. So you feel fantastic, right? No, honestly, right? Like there's this invigorating you know, head to toe, I've done a lot of shit today, right? And they need to do that for a long period of time. You know, and when they get into an intermediate level to move that up, you now are starting to consider periods of accumulation and intensification within those phases, because a person can express things differently in contractions now, right? So as they've got more and more years of experience, their limitation is not motor control anymore, they know how to move. So what's their next limitation? It's correct tension. So they have to figure out exactly like what is hard resistance, right? So they're now starting to learn what a tough three or a tough four or a tough five is because they haven't done that for a long period of time. Um, and they deserve to do that because they scaffold all that movement. And so now you're basically undulating between accumulation and intensification for that intermediate person over a period of time. And I'm being very journalist on that. When you get to an advanced level, you are now are really well at expressing all the contractions, which would we put it into three buckets, a maximum contraction, strength, endurance, and motor control, which is probably the place where you are now or myself. I've, just, I've probably just bypassed that because I've been exercising for over 27 years now in, in resistance training, where I'm at the point where I won't go past the advanced, but you're capable of doing a max, you understand how to do strength endurance, and you're probably still capable of doing uh, motor control activities, except for those people in resistance, they're probably isolating body parts, a la traditional splits and overloading specific motor units in a specific training session. And then when you're on the other side, which doesn't get talked about a lot, you now reverse engineer that process. So now you're going back to like pulling and squatting and core day all on one day. And you're now only doing strength endurance and motor control activities. And then when you become, you know, let's call it a, a grandmaster, and I'm just using terminology as if someone was lifting since they're 20, when you're 60 years of age, you're not stepping into the gym and doing hamstrings for two hours right? You're back to doing motor control, right? You're doing full body movements. And you talk to anyone who's a centurion in, in exercise today, and they're basically doing the big three, three times a week, right? They're in there just doing resistance, head to toe movements, and the odd like, you know, pulley exercise and some arms, you know, and that's the emblem of that entire, I would say, Ben, to answer your question lengthy wise, but that's the model that we teach coaches that people are going to fit into based upon what they're capable of expressing and holding to our belief as to what they should do so that they can do it until they're 95. Yeah, hey man, that's a that's a tough battle to fight because not everybody wants to worry about what they're doing when they're 95. They want to worry about what they're looking like right now. And that's a tough battle to fight. But we're talking the same language, right? Mm -hmm. You're calling it motor learning. I'm calling it skill acquisition. Same thing. Do you tend to limit the number of exercises or do you tend to subject them to a broad array of exercises in these yep. motor learning phases? Yeah, I'm not going to say that there's a two buckets of people, but there are. There's generally two buckets of people in that area that can handle more exercises and perturbations and variation, right? I just think like a, in motor learning concept. And then there's others that need to have less exercise total and more focus in specifics to what they're doing. So they may get an example, three exercises on that full body training day, and that's enough. And then the other person can handle and still adapt and improve a, a classical GBC style, A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2, D1, D2, and still finish and be like, wow, you know, three days later, I can do some different movements and still adapt and be okay with that. So I think there could be that could be something that maybe who's a someone who's a specialist in motor learning or neuro 
development could possibly or is probably listening going, oh, that totally makes sense because it's probably based upon some stuff that people are bucketed in for motor learning. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I see that all the time. It's like, and then they look at recoverability from those things, right? The person who's able to do it, you know, may or may not have. So that may even subdivide them further because someone may be capable of doing it. And then one person recovers really well from it, one person doesn't. So that's yes. another level of subdivision, man. But that's so fascinating. And I think this is there's so much value here for the listeners to start to understand. Because I don't know about you, but I think for the first five, maybe seven years of my training, that's exactly what I did, right? I was like, you know, you got to learn to squat. You got to learn to deadlift. You got to learn to bench press. You got to learn to do your shoulder presses or lateral raises. Your, you know, your basic bodybuilding things and your basic powerlifting things for me. And once I had those, that's when the growth really started to happen. And it seems now in culture, nobody wants to go through that. Uh, you know, that skill acquisition, I call it skill acquisition phase, right? Which literally can be years, as you say. And I keep, personally, I keep my skills uh, very, very narrow. I don't subject people to a ton of exercises, right? It may be two to three per body part total. Like, hey, get become very good at these. And then we kind of build in concentric circles working out. And like, hey, now you're going to get add these ones on top. But until you've mastered these, what's the point of adding these other things on top, which are in theory, not as effective. But as you say, there's... No, that's good. That's self-organizing there. Yeah, slight iterations and, and changes and, and angles and such like that. But, um, you know, keeping it super simple and, and giving primary focus on the skill. Because, man, I'm, I'm glad it makes me feel good that we're talking the same language because I know I'm doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we could now overcome the massive influencing education on, you know, performance and functional fitness and intensity and flashy band shit. Um, I think it's just a marginal gain garbage that I think people are just really honestly scared to death to uh, give strict absolute training, absolute strength training protocols anymore because, and we, we, you know, you and I probably had a part to play in this, but bodybuilding just killed it, you know, because it made it, it put this real bad tone on top of looking good and not like wow, this could lead to unbelievable immune function, right? Like when you and I were up in a mirror looking at ourselves after a good uh, shoulder day, we weren't thinking like, oh, I bet you my bacteria and my gut are really happy right now. You know what I mean? But <laughs> but they were, right? They were. So right. uh, I really do think that the, it's hard right now for a coach today to be like, man, you, you honestly think that bodybuilding practices and control movements and all these perturbations are going to really help people. Um, and they can't even organize their thought as to how it is because they can't get past right. that bullshit that's in their head that it's bodybuilding. And that when you say like splits and, sure. you know, do lateral raises, they're like, oh, but that's not 3D. It's, that's their first that's the first thing right. they break, right? It's like, where did that come from? Who told you that, right? Like, There's so many facets to this though, right? Like with the attention economy, right? People's attention is, is seven seconds long. So what's the next shiny red object? And to actually build a significant amount of muscle, unfortunately, unfortunately, for at the same time, it's going to take 10 years and people just don't want to commit to that. So they're like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to do bodybuilding, right? Like, okay, I understand why. I mean, it's just the, the shift of the culture now. I mean, if I can't get immediate results and be world-class in three months, I don't want to do it. And, you know, that's why people are, you know, they're hurting themselves and, and doing things like CrossFit and, you know, they're, they're hurting their shoulders, they're hurting their ankles, they're hurting their wrists, and they don't know why. Well, because you never acquired the skill. You didn't have the phase, like you say, of the motor learning. Yeah. So this is essentially the, the challenge we're up against. And I, uh, I know we're, we're not finishing, but we'll probably finish soon. If I could, you know, let everyone know that if you're searching for someone who's willing to fight with you for the next couple of decades to fight that battle, I'm that guy. I'm willing to go up there and be vilified and push that persona, even if it's you checking in with me or emailing or us connecting. I'm willing to to go to battle to kind of change that that shift in thinking because it's it's a really it's just a shitty state of affairs right now for the market and what they perceive fitness and how it's being sold in percentages. So yeah, I agree, man. And uh, you know, it, it's it's certainly going to be an uphill battle, but like everything seems to go in cycles. You know, I think everyone's going to start to realize that. Um, you know, these kind of fly-by-night things aren't going to last. And the foundational things that have been around for a long time will continue to be, right? Like heavy weights will always be there. Yeah. Adding muscle to your frame will always be there. And it's, there's going to be these shiny red objects that, you know, 20% of the population is always going to be attracted to. But hopefully we can we can pull a good amount of percentage of the population with us just to core so. foundational principles of health, right? Like it's, yeah. it's always so much more simple than we make it out to be. Yeah, I hope so. I spoke to Eric Helms on that too. We had a good conversation on, in the end, the iron will be there because it just tells you the truth. You know, it just doesn't lie to you. And I think there's other aspects of fitness that just lie to people. So I'm more pessimistic on the view, but I'm appreciative of the fact that you're more optimistic on it. I mean, I had a great awareness very recently around this this reality that I think bodybuilding may be 
you know, at least with as far as the gym goes, is a, is maybe your best opportunity to improve your consciousness, right? So being present, challenging your ability to stay focused, challenging your ability to be disciplined. Because if you're doing metabolic endurance type training, you're probably going to mind out, right? You're probably going to mute it out because it's typically pretty mindless, typically pretty repetitive, lots of lactic acid. You're probably not going to submerge yourself into, you know, becoming one with the lactic acid. Powerlifting singles and triples doesn't really require a lot of focused attention. There's not a lot of uh, fatigue, so it doesn't really require that, you know, additional brain power to, to drive the focus. But this bodybuilding is a beautiful integration of, you know, perfect execution. So you got to maintain the skill, the, the, the movement patterns. You have to maintain the amount of volume. So it's sustained amount of time. And then you got to maintain it with fatigue. So now I've got to maintain all of this presence and consciousness while I'm lifting my weight. And if you're doing it correctly with the, move, with the, with the motor learning like you speak of, I think it's your greatest opportunity to improve consciousness when, as far as fitness goes, right? There's obviously many other things that can, you know, jujitsu and, and maybe endurance stuff that can provide an opportunity as well. But as far as the gym goes, man, at least I'm, I'm, I'm one of the soldiers for teaching people to lean back into bodybuilding. Good. Well, let's keep doing it. Don't give up. <laughs> and just as a, a thought to it too, so- maybe we can both work together to maybe even change the language over time, you know? So not saying it shouldn't be bodybuilding, but maybe we just change the language over time so that it integrates, like you said, your aspects of just movement and then movement with certain kinds of contractions. And then people start to recognize it's like, yeah, okay, what am I doing here? I'm just challenging myself physically, you know, in an, in a way that I need to stay patient and focused. And that is essentially, you know, our classic definition of bodybuilding. Well, it is. And I, so I went the other way and I, I like your approach, but I went the other way and tried to, to shift people's belief and paradigm around what bodybuilding is. Right. So when people think bodybuilding, they picture these guys up on stage who are tanned and oily and, you know, whatever myself, mm-hmm. basically, um, I'm trying to change the paradigm to think like, as you say, if you're in the gym and you're, you're contracting muscles and you're trying to add muscle and you're eating consistently and you're eating healthfully and you're aware of your, your conscious mind and your, and your body, well, ultimately you're building your body. You're a bodybuilder. And you know, I, I literally, this is probably four or five years ago. I tried to start, you know, using that word in a different context and, you know, it's, you're always looking for that kind of critical mass to where people stop thinking about it like you're a meathead and start thinking about it like, oh, there's actually some value here. Oh, I'm a bodybuilder too. Mm-hmm. And there may be some legs behind it, man. Maybe it takes a little more persistence than I gave it. But, um, you know, it, it's certainly exactly what I was trying to do, man. I really um, have this belief that ultimately if you're in the gym and you're challenging muscles, you're a bodybuilder, whether or not you want to admit it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree with you. Very cool, man. Tell us where we can find more from you and OPEX Fitness. Yeah, uh, opexfit.com is our website. and There's lots of information inside of there. Um, I'm also involved in a couple of other areas that I just wanted to point out. Uh, the Brand X Method um, and the PYCC course. This is a, uh, let's call it the ultimate fitness coaching course for youth. I have a big part of my heart uh, for building the fitness aspect from the ground up um, to get all these minds that are much more resilient and get them to the point possibly today that we're not fixing all those adult issues. So I'm a part yeah. of that. I'm also part of the, yeah, uh, we're, we're on the same yeah, path okay. with that. That's cool. awesome. Um, I'm also part of the international functional fitness federation. We have our world championships going on right now. Um, that's a, uh, you know, where people are competing in the sport on a world level and we're trying to get that sport to the Olympics. So I'm involved in that. And as well, The Big Dogs, which is our online coaching for people who are really serious about fitness, thebigdogs.com. I'm on Twitter only, uh, where I just give my podcast that I listen to. Uh, it's uh, Jay Fitz Opex, um, and you'll see Muscle Intelligence now. Uh, it's been in there a few times. I enjoyed oh, one, you, just specifically, I should have remembered this before, because I'm going to kill it, but you had some one individual on there who talked about the central nervous system and the microbiome. I just want to let you know, I really enjoyed that. That was a uh, I forget what the name was, but that was a solid one. So that's where I put my podcasts and I'll be listening to this one so I can reframe my language. And I'm on Instagram, uh, jfitzopex, uh, where I just give uh, what I'm doing in workouts. You see my lifestyle, what I do, and how I stay a part of uh, just trying to change this landscape of fitness. James, you're doing awesome stuff, man. Keep doing it. Keep pushing hard. And, and you've got a supporter in me. So thank you. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. All right, boys and girls, that's a wrap. 
James Fitzgerald, OPEX Fitness, OPEX Training is where he's at. It's absolutely incredible. The course that I sit, as I mentioned in the podcast I'm going through right now, James has generously offered to allow me to look through and, and take some of the classes. And he's a brilliant teacher and uh, his format is fantastic. And hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And again, as always, I appreciate you being here, giving me time, giving me your ear, and leaving us a review. Head over to iTunes.com now and leave us a review. You can also check out MuscleIntelligence.com slash podcast for all the show notes, all the discount codes. If I ever say something and I'm talking too fast or I'm mumbling, I tend to do that. So you guys can head over to MuscleIntelligence.com slash podcasts and check out all the information from all of the shows all the way back to the Muscle Expert days should all live on that page. If you have a hard time finding it, let us know and we will track it down for you. Enjoy your day, guys. Live an amazing life and I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.